Hello and welcome to episode 205 of The Great and Crowbar. It is the 7th of September 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and this afternoon I'm joined by Philippa War. Hi. And just Philippa War. Hello. It's the rare thing, a Chris and Pip duo pod special. Yeah. Because all of the Toms are missing. <laughs> what did you do with them, Pip? Um, I consumed them. That's right, everybody. Pip has eaten <laughs> Tom Francis and Tom Senior. I am become Tom. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how that works. But Isn't it's too it? late. Yeah. Somerset police will be here any moment. <laughs> but like... That's definitely a thing I've learned from pop culture, is that you eat someone to consume their identity. Mm. Did you get this from Kirby? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, hmm, I can see that. My mentor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Yoda to your Luke Skywalker, Kirby. <laughs> well, Yoshi does it as well, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We, <laughs> we definitely found your place within the Mushroom Kingdom, <laughs> And what are we going to do with the last hours before the police close in to make uh, you answer for this crime? Well, maybe a podcast. <laughs> Why not? It can double up as my testimony. <laughs> or where you confess openly to the crime. They don't know whether I'm bluffing. That's not how that works. You've seen a lot of detective shows, but surely you know how that works. Yeah, but they're all from the time before podcasts. Like, it's not so like podcast. Actually, it's oh, in had all- a radio show in the last one yeah, that that's we watched. True. It's in all of our interests that podcast-based evidence is inadmissible. There's 205 <laughs> episodes of that that I'd be very happy to be exempt from the law. Because sometimes the takes are just too hot. <laughs> That's arson. <laughs> arson around. Nice. Thanks. Uh, the only news I thought would make sense for us to discuss this week mm. um, is, and it's not, you know, it's just one of those numbers stories, really. Is it Destiny 2? It's not Destiny 2. We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. And that's not going away, everybody. (laughs) Um, No, it's it's the Plunk Bag. It's the Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which has not only sold 10 million copies now, but Mm -hmm. has supplanted Dota 2 at the top of Steam chart thing, Mm -hmm. which I didn't think was possible. So you mean in terms of concurrent players, right? Mm. Yeah, but that's kind of nuts because Dota's numbers have sort of plateaued a little bit like it's maybe hit its number of people it's going to reach but that was still like six hundred thousand people at any given time Hmm. but there goes plunk bag soaring to eight hundred thousand people which is well you know what dota needs crazy i may have made those numbers up but what go on it needs to implement a 6v6 as the main mode because then right because then they get an extra 20 (laughs) percent because that yeah (laughs) Because definitely that's what would work. Every single person in the world, rather than match with someone who already plays the game, would recruit a sixth friend. That's how it works. Yeah, that is, yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. You should take that directly to Valve. Well, they can listen to the podcast, Actually, Chris. having having <laughs> eaten Tom Francis and, and taken his powers, you now oh, have, yeah. you know... I'm that. part of the mind cube. Yeah. You've inherited his fragment of the hive mind or something. I've been playing a lot of Destiny, Pip. I'm now plugged into the mainframe mm. and other words from 90s versions of the cyber future. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, um, this is kind of nuts because I would never have thought, like, I could, I could imagine a future where a sufficiently popular game, um, trumps Dota. Mm. Even, you know, obviously Dota. Pokemon Go. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, on Steam specifically. I ruined that for you. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. Um, and but, then I tried to make it up for you by performing a Pokemon Go live action. Oh, you mean you ruined Pokemon Go for Trail. me rather than rather than the bit? Oh, oh, did I ruin the bit as well? 
<laughs> without any Walls tongs. are crumbling. Yeah. <laughs> They're the buffer. I get distracted by having more people to ruin things for. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you did, you did ruin Pokemon Go when it came out. Because I was like, wow, look at this. It looks like a neat gizmo. And you were like, look, shit. And I couldn't really go back I to it. I didn't say that. I said... What a neat way for people to harvest your data. Yeah, that did ruin it for me. Because <laughs> you were right. You normally are. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> like, but then quite... I made you a version. Yeah, you hid, well, you hid, you hid lovely little stickers around the garden. No, I hid pictures of Pokemon around the garden and yes. then said hotter and cold. <laughs> uh, make her own fun. Um, <laughs> so, wow. Uh, plunk bag. Mm. The thing about bunk bag that mm. makes me kind of go, what? Is the fact that it costs £30 and it has done this. That's kind of nuts to me. But did it always? Like, has yes. it had periods of not costing £30? No. Okay. It's only been available for like four months. Okay. And oh, been... wow. The time has gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I thought it was like a million years old. No. But I think, I think that genre feels old yes it, and also in my head it somehow morphs also into daisy because it's had similar sort of mm. early access and everyone's playing it and you know yeah well i mean it's, it's sort of it feels very late because obviously it's arrived months after h1z1 and and, and daisy and all the games that it takes after mm. um but it can i guess it kind of shows that people are still hungry for that fantasy of being shot in a field I don't know. Maybe it's like being compressed. Like they just like being in ever <laughs> smallening. Places. You've been in the weird part of Tumblr again. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, but I mean, there's something different about that because otherwise you'd just enjoy being on a commuter train. <laughs> so hang on, you're arguing. You're arguing that the unprecedented success of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is because most people have a secret passion for being in an ever-shrinking park <laughs> not so not survival not gunplay not com competition not sharing an experience with friends but at the very specific thrill of being in a park that is getting smaller <laughs> there's look there's a very primal appeal <laughs> of <I'm not. laughs> no i have not finished that thought there's a primal appeal of being snuggled <laughs> so you're saying and that's what the game does right it tries to snuggle you the, it's a laser force field that but, kills you right but it becomes a smaller space it becomes something manageable and something snug okay right so you, okay it's like an environmental hug have you played plunk bag no <laughs> Uh. So is it not like that? <laughs> It's extremely stressful. But you, when I listen to you having fun, as I do through the door yeah. where I'm not having fun, <laughs> um, you know, it, it seems quite chill, you know? You're, it is. You're, you're so, having a laugh. So it's I would, bounce. you know, I think, you know, you're not entirely, well, you're sort of wrong in the way that only you manage where sometimes where it's like, this is a gem of real insight there, but it doesn't necessarily match to the experience of playing the game, you know? Because it's not like a hug, really, because it's like being in an ever smaller pen with right. some velociraptors. And you really desperately don't want to get eaten, but you eventually do. You know, like the pen getting smaller is not helping you. 
Right, so are you the chicken dinner in this scenario? Yes. Okay. Indeed. Like, that's, you know, that's what you win, because you win everyone else. Oh, so is it a cannibalism thing? I guess secretly, yeah. Are you all chickens? No. Then that doesn't make sense. It's a metaphor within a metaphor. <laughs> um, flown the coop. Indeed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I wonder what... Good coop, bad coop. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah well you know it's a big game i started to go off it a little bit i have to admit is it because it's now popular in your fundamentally it was popular when i got into it (laughs) no because i'm probably gonna spend the rest of this podcast sort of explaining why destiny 2 is probably my game of the year despite being like the least hip thing you could pick for that hang on hang on so are you how do you feel about the dota thing about it being bigger than Dota. Do you feel like this is... I mean, because things like player numbers and so on, they they create narratives that then sometimes get fulfilled, if you see what I mean. like, So if people report that a, bad, uh, that a game has a low player base, that can mm. sometimes affect its rate of growth because people don't want to join it because they worry that it'll die and then that becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Only in some very specific cases i should add but um and so as something topples dota and sort of becomes the big game like do you think that that might dislodge people from dota who weren't sure if they were still having fun or do you think it will alter the narratives around that game in a way that actually then start playing it? i know that that's a weird maybe question I, but it's something i, that- I think um, I might be answering this from the point of view of someone who loves Dota a lot, hmm. but I you think... You don't really play it as much. Not not as much, but that's, you know, I, I, I admire it tremendously still. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I do, like, as a, as, as a piece of design, as a game. Um, I think, because Dota's, Dota and Plunk Bag are both weird as popular games because they're both extremely punishing and often the experience is unpleasant. I think that's a lot, I might, pitch around some angles on that actually because i think there's i think people apart from the fact that you can quit plunk bag at any time it feels as um cons- you know as hungry for your time mm. as dota and arguably it's actually less rewarding because if you play a game of dota yes you can be stuck in a situation where you play for 45 minutes and you lose but you're going to spend that 45 minutes doing stuff fundamentally mm. you're going to you're going to have a, you know you're going to try to win you're going to get team fights you're probably going to get a couple of kills there will be good moments on the way mm. it's very easy to play plunk bag for half an hour have a game where you don't really see anyone else you and your friends run around and loot things and hide in bushes and crawl and and stuff and then you get shot and you didn't see where it came from and that's all of it and that's it Hmm. and you know you you you, the sort of after you know initially when you start playing the simply the tension of exploring the landscape not knowing how the world fits together hiding in bushes jumping at engine noises that kind of thing Hmm. is fun but when, but eventually you've seen all those situations pretty much. And that kind of initial, um, you know, the novelty of, you know, running from town to town wears off. Mm. And that's where I'm at with it now where that novelty is entirely worn off. So if I don't have a good game where stuff actually happens, I really feel like I've wasted my time. Like if we have one of those like long ones where you get right to the end and then, you know, there's a lot of situations in that game where you can just be eliminated and there's really nothing you could reasonably have done. Mm. Like uh, it's luck really. Um, and, and that's a bit, 
Yeah. And it, you can still have the amazing experiences and it's still a nice way to hang out with people. Mm. But, um, unlike Dota, it doesn't have, it's not like if I load a Dota game, even if it goes badly, I know that I'm going to play the game mm. for a certain amount of time. And that's a sort of strange, a strange difference. And for that reason, I wonder like my, and I appreciate that I'm biased, but like my instinct would be that player unknown battlegrounds has more of a chance of being a fad. Mm. That it will kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's so big that its popularity is probably never going to dip below huge game, but that it might shrink back down. Mm. Like that it might be entering a big wave of interested people because it is. As with the game itself. Indeed. (laughs) Yes. It will, people will experience the comforting primal satisfaction of the big group of people they're part of shrinking. Yeah. Into a smaller, more manageable, cuddly. That's life as well. It is. Everyone shrink. What? No, I mean, you know, the people that you know ultimately die. Damn. Sorry, that was... <laughs> you Shit. know your essential player base of life gets smaller. Yes, that's true. Unless you do I, I don't, a I'd marketing like to... campaign for friends, oh, it would be interesting to <laughs> to to find something, some answer to its popularity other than entropy itself. However, <laughs> um, but yeah, I wonder about its longevity a little bit, simply because I certainly because I think I think. I think one of the reasons for its success is that it has, a, you know, the core fantasy of it is something that a lot of people respond to, and a lot of people outside games respond to. Mm. Um, it's relatively realistic looking, which avoids, you know, which means it's 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 not an accessible game, but the theme is maybe a little bit more accessible to people who don't necessarily aren't all in on wizards and monsters and that kind of thing straight away. Well, it's the same reason that I think CS:GO is more ultimately sort of accessible mm. on on a top level than MOBAs. Mm. When you're talking, when we've previously spoken about esports and things, yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about that feeling of wasted time because there's a very specific kind of sickening dread that I associate with games I pour time into and realize that they are just that's time I'm not going to get back and I didn't mm. benefit from it, and mm. um, I get it a lot with the sort of addictive mobile gaming that I go into when uh, depression is really bad or anxiety. Mm. Um, But I also started to get it with Dota when I realized I'd hemmed myself into specific characters or specific classes and wasn't getting better, but also wasn't having fun. Mm. So it was kind of like, okay, I spent 45 minutes to an hour in a holding pattern. Yeah. Yeah, Plunk Bag definitely has that potential in it. It has that mm. that same thing that I associate with, like the bad evening of Dota, where you start playing at nine, you play yeah. three games, then it's midnight and it's bedtime, and you and you've probably not had a good time, and you, you you've done everything you can not to kind of just sound sad in front of your friends. Yeah, like um, but that's, like you know, it has. I've had those you know plunk sessions where it you come out of it like, did I do anything? Plunk bad. Plunk bad. Sometimes the plunk is bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then in, um, recently I've gotten better at saying like, I'm done for the night now. Right. Like, you know, because it's also very much like one more, like, you know, the Dota thing where it's like, oh, yeah. well, we'll play the next one. It's going to be amazing. Um, all those, all those things have, have repeated. I think, um, the one thing that is maybe a bit different is that they, uh, the, the developers do add or are trying to do that thing. It, obviously, it's too early in the game's life to really tell what the cadence of this stuff is, but there's that new map coming or mm. 
you know imminent and things like that which i think will be those peaks of activity where people you know dip back in yeah definitely okay what's this thing or because once you've got it it's like oh okay well you know there's a new thing or there's a new idea or a new mode or a new thing you know Mm. i definitely feel like i'm getting a bit better at um playing knowing when i've had my fill of a game for a certain amount of time so i've played 75 hours of plunk bag and i think i might be done okay until until but when the new map comes out i'll definitely try it because that's an interesting thing yeah but that's you know but it's partly because you know there's so much going on so much coming out that i now better at saying like well i'm you know something that i've had my plunk i really like um so with dota and with league i i am far happier watching and feeling like i've got something out of that time Mm. than playing it myself with dota like the only times i go back are when for example when they add a terrain map that i particularly like and want to experience that but usually that's a case of i play one game so that i then have a recorded version of that that i can then like um use the free cam to go into the replay of Mm. and examine all of the fish or Mm. you know all of the (laughs) insects and things so that's um that's what my relationship is with dota at the moment Mm. i wonder whether because Plunkbat has a, a really active Twitch community, right? Yeah, so, I think that's one of the big reasons for its success. So, yeah, like, uh, it'll be interesting to see if people switch over to, you know, whether ultimately you'll end up with games like that, which are really big, but then maybe they'll end up with more watchers than they do mm. players, or, you know, it'll sort of ebb and flow in interesting ways. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's 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 definitely has a sort of symbiotic relationship with that. Like, it's mm. successful because it's also a useful tool for entertainers like you can build a streaming personality around it very easily mm. um daisy was really yeah like yeah similarly it makes me think a lot of mm. that which yeah which is very different for dota like it's, it's a bit harder to make your yeah make that fly to just any audience necessarily for sure i think that's very much just a me thing like mm. i get more out of watching pro um for sure. dota pro league than yeah than of playing it sorry that's a bit of a by the by really but um i i really like watching how audiences grow and change and shift mm, so. same mm. yeah but nonetheless there's a big big old audience now i'm going to kind of get used to the idea that it's, i mean the other crazy things is a footnote but it's not out on consoles yet and it is coming out on consoles and typically um any game that is big on steam that is also on for example the playstation store mm. is a factor bigger on the playstation store so that has it really does have the potential to be absolutely crazy. So something that I wonder, and obviously it will just depend on the people involved and what drives developers um, individually to to strive for things, but when a game is this successful in early access, I do wonder what that does to people's impetus, you know, because it's mm. not a case of we just need to get this to release and then we can actually maybe recoup some of our investment or, you know, whatever else. It's this is possibly the biggest thing I will ever do with my life in terms of the money that it has generated. Yeah. And it's not actually finished, but at this point, it you know, like, it, it's enormous. So mm. what, you know, like, I think you have to find, find your way back into making that happen. Because obviously early access is in a lot of ways a sort of at least a trust-based contract with your audience. Mm. And sometimes, like, you know, a legal one, um, I would assume. Um, I'd need to double-check terms and conditions. But, um, and so that's just interesting 
to me in terms of, you know, these projects that go absolutely supernova when they hit crowdfunding or when they're in early access. And then, you know, that, that sense of, oh God, it's, it's enormous. Now what, mm. you know, I think maybe that's ameliorated a little bit in this case because punk bag isn't fully indie, mm, um, that's true. has publisher backing. Um, also it's, it's developer situation is real fucking strange because mm. as far as anyone can tell by his own admission, Brendan Green is sort of like an ideas guy. Yeah. Um, not a programmer. He's currently spending a lot of time promoting the game, doing interviews, traveling. The Plunk from Plunk Bag. Yes. Plunk, player unknown of, <laughs> of Plunk fame. I love uh, how it's like a player unknown, Brenda Green. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his name. It's not like I shrug. It, that's him. That's the man. I was talking to Brendan, um, and, uh, Chris Bratt on the, on the other podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was imagining, um, him just sat at his computer with like a little mask on like Zorro like no one will know who I am <laughs> I think that I think that whole idea has been completely ruined by um anonymous like a, 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 basically a dude sat at a computer wearing a mask you know possibly the lamest thing on earth now oh, um but yeah so you know but like so nonetheless like I think his role is just his he's gone from like modder to designer spokesman for the biggest game on mm. steam very very quickly in a way that or from developer i guess to to that in a way that i don't think has precedent really within the industry like even compared to other indies that because it's not like it's a, it's a tiny team of two that has now made all the money in the world mm. and that's how what they do next you know it's, it's it's ultimately going to go into publisher channels and, and that kind of thing well what would be interesting is sort of as a comparison with um dean hall's uh, sort of mm. public persona because he in many ways was that figure for Daisy and mm. you know became more of an ideas person more of a figurehead more of a spokesperson kind of ambassador for that thing and then the the narrative gradually shifted and it was you know oh this thing still hasn't come out and you know this stuff is like really behind and you know sort of that type of thing that has then transferred into you know him moving off to his own projects and that you know that sense of but but he is man who did not finish project mm. and like that being his narrative and it'll be interesting to see what happens with plunk bat but also what happens with player unknown mm. as a as an entity and as a you know in response to how that development plan pans out yeah yeah for sure i mean although i think i think the game is at far less risk than daisy was because its promises are much more grounded mm. and it, it's it's its proposition is much more grounded it's one of the reasons i think it's been you know it is ultimately a multiplayer shooter and they can say we're gonna add a map and they go great and then they can show you pictures of the map and yeah you believe it's gonna fair. happen it's not like i always go back to this but like interviewing dean hall in january of 2014 mm -hmm. so like right at the height of daisy's success and having this long conversation about player-owned vehicles and bunkers where players would be which would be persistent across servers and all this stuff that has never happened mm. and this whole idea of what that game was going to be which is somewhere between like a kind of mmo life sim survival experience thing and it was all just kind of i mean i, I believe that he believed it but it was mm. all just up in the air at that time whereas oh, this feels much yeah. more like we're going to add climbing and no, new that's, maps. that's entirely fair i yeah i didn't mean to suggest that it was a case of these situations are entirely analogous it's more that 
there's enough similarities there that it helps talk about the way um, people get framed in the public mm. perception and how those narratives sort of then play out or dog you or can, you know, how how you then have to work to subvert things and yeah. how much is on you and how much is on audiences. And, mm. you know, like this isn't to sort of absolve anyone from promising over promising or to you know to say that the internet isn't also a harsh place it's yeah yeah i, I think he's under i, I guess I what think i'm saying i've whiffled I think, i've gone whiffly i think what i'm saying what i'm saying is i think player unknown ironically is at substantially less risk of getting the kind of ire that well the reason which is the reason that ice frog has remained anonymous for dota uh and then maybe trailed after uh, dean hall or other people who've kind of um been in a situation where the game has promised a lot because I think one of the reasons Punk Bag has been so successful is it delivers quite well on all of the things it needs to deliver on. Mm. And it is, and this will sound super dry, but it is a straightforward enough proposition that it can expand in ways that the players can anticipate, but in ways that are deliverable as well. It's yeah. not, it's not like, um, it's not like a, a lot of the games that have attracted this kind of negative response recently, which have sort of either directly or indirectly promised everything. Yeah, that's true. Player Unknown just isn't doing that. It's a, it's a, it's a hundred person deathmatch game and it will always be that. Mm. New modes would be great, but you know what I mean? Like it's, that's um, fair. all of the things that are promised for it are very tangible. It's not like we're going to give you another life in space. I retract most of the comparison I sort of idly drew. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. But I mean, still find those two people and their roles in the games industry interesting. Well, it's another thing in the case of having to retract anything. It's, they do. It's just that their situations illuminate each other by how different they are as well as the similarities, I think. Mm. Like, useful contrasts, I think. Mm. Mm. We should talk about what we've been playing. Should we? Yes. Okay, fine. What have you been playing, Pip? Life is strange before the storm. Was life strange before well, the storm? Life is strange, colon, before the storm. Mm. Mm. So it's not a sentence? No, no, no. Okay. Um, which is the prequel to the time-bending teen drama adventure. That's life a good, is strange. D- yeah, that's a good description of Life is Strange. Thanks. Um, and what would you like to know about it? I'm trying to work out, because I did speak about this on the other podcast, and I sort of, you know, I, I want to, I want to bring fresh meat to fresh the takes. discussion. Yes. Well, so I guess, so I don't know, I've, I've avoided spoilers, so I don't really know anything about it. Oh, okay. So it's probably cool. worth saying that we don't, um, we don't, we're not going to spoil anything, I imagine, mm-hmm. if people want to play it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so only episode one is out at the moment, right? Yes, it's um, so the original game was five episodes, um, which released over a period of time, and um, it followed Max Caulfield, who was like a photography student, as she reconnected with her best friend Chloe Price and tried to solve some mysteries at the school, mm. um, including the disappearance of uh, a girl that Chloe was friends with called Rachel Amber. Um, and this is a game which looks at Chloe's, uh, like intense, uh, friendship with Rachel Amber. Mm. So it's very much a kind of reworking of, or not reworking, but it's a lot of the people and places that you recognize, but, you know, remixed a bit or, you know, seeing how they came to be in particular situations. Right. Um, so 
and I think that that works quite well because I didn't I didn't spend the whole time sort of feeling like we were just inching towards a conclusion I already knew because I played the first game right mm. um there was enough just sort of okay this is more of a character study right um and there are questions that the first episode sets up that I'd like to find out more about there are some you know people at the end sort of mysterious figures that mm. not not in some weird like illuminati way they're just you know people who pop up over the course of the narrative and you're kind of like oh okay I want to know more about that or I want mm. to know you know why this has happened or you know why what what's going on here um but mostly it's because I want to know how their friendship pans out and mm. sort of you know whether it's that uh, intense thing that intense teenage friendship that is maybe not just friendship right mm. um and they handle that in a, a really earnest gawky sweet kind of bratty <laughs> you know that they feel believably teenaged mm. in a really nice way because as with the first game it's just not a genre that you get much of right mm. um the big difference i would say is so it's um in terms of the behind the scenesy stuff i guess the big differences are that it is made by a different studio it's mm. not don't nod it is uh deck nine um and uh ashley birch who voiced chloe in the first game is not doing in the second one mm. simply because of the act the voice actor strike right right didn't you have a writing credit on there ashley Birch? she um she ended up consulting i think right. as to chloe's character you know because obviously mm. it was a character that she cared about deeply and so wanted to make sure that if it was happening it would be done right you know mm. sort of doing right by the character which was really nice um but like uh so you can read more about that on various news stories i can't recall yeah, yeah. all of it right now um but yeah so those are sort of what you'd think would be the big changes um but mostly i would say it actually recaptures the the feelings of the original really well so the big thing for me is more the mechanical changes so whereas in the first episode uh, of sorry in the first um season season you had uh max's time traveling powers so you'd be able to rewind time and like do over situations mm. or use that information from later in an encounter to change it like earlier on mm. you know it was those kinds of puzzles um so you had that, but obviously without Max, with Chloe sort of, you know, just yeah. being alone, certainly at the start, um, her main way of interacting with the world and sort of problem solving is shouting at things until they <laughs> bend to her will. Mm. So you, you're, so where you would have had like a, a little spiral showing a timeline that you could zip back and forth over when you had Max. With Chloe, it's just, a series of icons showing like the different stages of an argument <laughs> so you know you get you listen to what the other person says and then you can respond and you know it's it's essentially just different degrees of insulting and arguing um and sort of trying to achieve <laughs> the outcome you want through that so the first thing it gets you to do is um try and get into a gig 
at the uh the old mill mm. and so you sort of get a feel for how naive she is she just like she's just a kid who really wants to see a band who are really loud in a place that she's sort of too young for mm. um and it's just really sweet and quite funny and she sort of squares up to this bouncer and that's when you sort of have your first encounter with the argument mechanic <laughs> and it's essentially like her telling this enormous tattooed like biker gang dude like i could take you <laughs> you're kind of like oh god you know the confidence of youth <laughs> and just i will yeah i will i i would beat you up you know that kind of thing and she's just she absolutely believes it you're like oh so yeah and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that is more about um being able to interact with things in the environment and there will be consequences for some of them you know like mm. um it's sufficiently early on that i think it was stuff that was covered in previews so this is spoilerish but it's not spoilery for anything major that i've encountered so far but mm. when you first get into the mill spoiler you get into the mill um you know it's things like you can find ways to get like a, a t-shirt of the band from the guy who's selling mm. merch you know that kind of thing and there are some other but you do it in a, you don't have the money for it so you have to sort of be a bit of a dick um and you know do a thing that i i wouldn't do in real life um to to make that happen and so obviously there there are points within that where there might be consequences for things and you you meet up with that's when you meet up with like various other people from mm. the first game um so yeah and it was just it was really nice to see to to be back there you know mm. and to get a feel for things it's not perfect because um there are in the same way that i really wasn't entirely convinced of the first game from its first episode there were moments of like uh, like um, and I mentioned this in the review that I wrote, but like David, who is the, um, the guy who Chloe's mum is dating, mm. they need to have him be sufficiently irritating and authoritarian towards Chloe that you get why she hates him mm. and for that to be a believable, non-extreme response on her part in a lot of ways like a a reasonable i'm bereaved because you know mm. my dad got killed in an accident but i also hate this guy but you also need him to be um not a dick enough that you believe that her mum is in a relationship with him and is enjoying that for some reason you mm. know having been essentially married to the nicest man on earth for years like why is she suddenly with a kind of a, a an asshole ex-army jerk mm. right and so they haven't got a holistic character there they really haven't mm. so i guess he, he just... struggles as well for being quite a significant character in the original series yeah and I... so he just ping pongs in dialogue between you know like clearly looking out for her mom in some way and also just being a turbo douche mm. and you're just like but that's not it's not in any helpful way and same with 
some of the conversations that you have between like Chloe and her mum, you're kind of like, okay, well, I mean, it, it, it feels like there's maybe a path through that conversation that is canon. And if you deviate from that, you sometimes get some strangely, you know, not, um, it doesn't flow properly. Mm. You're suddenly in a kind of heartfelt moment when you were in a sort of aggro moment before, but not in the way that, that teenagers actually do that, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a strange one because, um, like life is strange in its five episodes felt like it sort of told the complete story of this place and these people. Mm. And obviously I assume I, given that this is called before the storm and the storm in, in life is strange represents this, the big metaphysical element of the story, mm. uh, which all surrounds Max. Um, obviously this is sort of not engaging with, you know, the full mad Donnie Darko metaphysics of, <laughs> um, of, of the thing. But it means that, like, I kind of wonder where it's going to fit in. Because, I mean, you know, it's not even like Chloe was an important side character. She's close to the main character of Life is Strange. Max mm. is the person that you are. But, like, 90% of the things you do revolve around Chloe. Max so, needs to be enough of a blank that you as the player could be her, if you see what yeah. I mean. Like, she had her own character, but, like, she was always a bit less well-defined for me. And then Chloe is just this ball of angry energy who I adored. Mm. And, it, yeah. That's why she's a weird choice for protagonist. <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't played it yet, and I'd like to play it. But I wonder if maybe the version of this is the one that makes more sense, the one where you play Rachel Amber, because she was the other person that was somewhat less well-drawn than Chloe, at least. Maybe, although I think that would take away a bunch of the scope for mystery, because, like, through playing, if you have played the first game, you know a whole bunch about Chloe, mm. but you don't know anywhere near as much about Rachel Amber. That's and true. so by going and telling Chloe's story, you're not, um, you know, it's it's not about, like, oh, it's weird that you know all of this interior, you know, monologue or that you that you have more of a sense of who she is, you know? Mm. Like, and also similarly, you wouldn't have as much sort of, I guess, mystery to un unravel with That's Chloe. Because it's like, well, hang on, I know, I know everything that happened to you because, you know, you explained it to Max previously. I just can't imagine it getting a little bit weird when it has to tiptoe around characters like her dad or her stepdad, for example, who have such a big role. And such an ambiguous role in the first series, but their ambiguity kind of needs to be preserved in this, even though presumably most of the people who play it will know where that arc ends. It's a strange kind of, I mean, prequels have this problem all the time, but it's a... Well, yeah, because they can't do any of, any of the satisfying resolution that happens in the first, in the, in the main thing, mm. right? But, um, I think in making it a three episode character study, essentially, or mm. as far as I can tell, um or more on that sort of side of the spectrum it at least lets you sort of pick at smaller elements of a of a more intense but maybe smaller scale story yeah i can see that and thus that makes those other elements less of a problem because it's just far less about how do we get to the the beats of the first episode of the the thing that it's a prequel to mm. you know it doesn't feel like you're hemmed in in that way of like needing to get people to a certain point it's more just you know here is the story of that friendship and why it mattered to right. that first game right mm. i see that's 
Or at least that's what it is so far. There's two more episodes. Right, so yeah. <laughs> I might be walking all of this back and, in a yeah, few And I guess if, you're, if your overall feeling coming away from it is that you were glad Life is Strange is back and enjoying it, then that's, that's a, a possibly positive. I would love to sit with you as you played it. Because mm. we did that with Life is Strange because I'd played it yeah. earlier because I was reviewing all of the episodes for rock paper shotgun and so when you played it i sat with you and just watched your choices and Mm. sort of i wasn't giving you any spoilers or anything but at a few times you did completely different things to me and that was super interesting and with my playthrough of this first episode of before the storm i made a bunch of choices that i some of them were so rewarding and i'll be so like i think it might I would be interested to see whether A, you encounter the same things that I do, but also B, whether you not doing some things, if you choose not to, fundamentally alters how enjoyable the game is. Because there was one standout, like, um, optional encounter that I absolutely loved. And I think people not going for that, thing or not finding that thing or you know shying away from that thing um might significantly alter their enjoyment of it mm. if that makes sense just because it was really deft and really cool yeah hmm. we'll, we'll find out i guess hmm. Hmm. yes what have you been up to um so well last couple of days i've been playing a lot of destiny 2 i was gonna say i left you alone for, <laughs> for a couple of Pick days was away and i played destiny 2 um <laughs> to the point that um obviously I, I i so i'm gonna talk about it briefly but uh there's another game i've been playing i'll probably talk about more detail the reason for that is the other game is absolver mm-hmm. and i talk about absolver on this pod partly because i i have a feeling the destiny 2 is going to keep coming back um <laughs> to the podcast i know it was already been on when the the beta was on in the uh, npc recently mm-hmm. um it's interesting because uh, I feel like uh, with Destiny now, I can say like this is one of my favorite game series of all time, mm. and one of my, you know, and specifically, it may even I may even put it singular. It might be my, one of my favorite games of all time, mm. and the reason for that is it feels like Bungie have spent three years now making and remaking the same game, which is a really you know this kind of complicated shooter MMO PvP single player thing. Um, they made it once the first time it came out and it was flawed, but I loved it, but it was flawed. They made it again with Taken King and they've just made it again in Destiny 2. Like it is, um, it's substantial. It does justify being a sequel. It is a substantial step for the game, mm. but it is fundamentally a- another set. It's the same set of very talented designers going back to the same set of ideas and taking another swing at them. Mm. And it is the best it has ever been. Mm. Um, it's so good. Um, and it's, not just, I mean, it, obviously not just because it's compulsive or because it's a good marriage of systems. Um, I think the thing that will always make me love Destiny is that it, it is, uh, it is one of these big hyper popular, um, hyper marketed kind of, you know, product games, um, that is designed to, to do well, obviously. Not all games are, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's as triple A as they come in mm. that sense. Yeah. But it has a real, spirit to it and you can you can hear the voice of the designers through the ways they've designed things and also through the kinds of stories they're telling through the environment art which is amazing that kind of thing far more so i think than i get out of something like overwatch or any call of duty or or anything like that Mm. um i think uh, i was talking to i had lunch with alex regular podcast alex wiltshire yesterday 
and he put it in that like with most sort of hyper mainstream games they don't they they don't necessarily like open arm they don't necessarily just invite in the kind of player's understanding of the game with open arms and and build it around that there's a sort of a, a plan uh, and destiny 2 very very much feels like it is you know three years of people things people loved and hated about the game the memes that have grown up about it kind of coming together um to the point that i could i could wang on about it indefinitely i think um all of the super smart decisions it's a phenomenal shooter um the all those very smart decisions they've made to rebalance the game around certain sets of weapons to each of which each decision answers things interesting systemic problems that emerged from the sort of combat sandbox of the first game um which have been answered and inevitably new problems will arise and they'll get solved as well but i trust bungie probably more than any other developer when it comes to designing shooters and uh, i think they've they've done it again the mad bastards and they've found ways to put systemic depth into destiny that i didn't think were there and i feel like i know the systems inside out and it's comfortably a lot of the same systems but with these little additions and tweaks that mean relearning things and it's been an amazing experience um getting back into that um i think it'll probably it'll be time to go into in a lot more detail when it is out on pc which is the end of this month but um but yeah beginning of next beginning of next right um but yeah hang on i thought it was the end of this month no, it's uh, isn't it like the twenty fourth of October? Or oh, something? I thought it was the twenty fourth of September, but maybe you're right. Yeah, you I'm might be fairly right. sure it's October. Well, that sucks for people who aren't playing it <clears throat> now. Um, but yeah, um, there's there's so much I could say. Like, it's a phenomenal showcase for amazing industrial sci-fi art. It doesn't really doesn't get enough credit for that. I think. Um, just there are a couple of reveals in that game which are just like just big, believable space object you know brain ticklers um it's oh man um i like it a lot is what i'm saying and i'm really glad that it's as good as it is um there's so there's the only thing the sort of the topical thing i suppose to address quickly about destiny is um inevitably and this is sort of frustrating to see because it's it seems to be reviewing well as i hope it would because i do think they've done a phenomenal job but um the story has been the backlash in the community about against about some of the microtransaction stuff that's in it um I, i you know Personally, I think I'm starting to find it a little bit tiring that the first story about a game is what are people angry about, not what is it doing well, but that's bye-bye. The reason for this is, so Destiny 1, about midway through its life, kind of gained a microtransaction system, Mm. um, but its its systems from the ground up weren't necessarily designed for it. They started to add things like glowing effects for your armor that you could either loot or buy or that kind of thing. Emotes. Emotes. And um, for seasonal events, you could purchase, is it silver or something? Silver is the prime premium currency, yeah. Yeah, you could purchase silver to then invest in irritatingly non-matching uh, amounts for you know like it yeah. was that it had that disparity of oh you buy a certain amount of thing and then you'll have enough change to think maybe you should spend some more to oh. mm. but anyway um but they were never core in that way it was more but i you know i would i think i would have been surprised if there weren't microtransactions given that they implemented them and they were phenomenally successful business wise it wouldn't make sense to yeah so strip them out again. so one thing in this but, sort of- so what What's the so like I, I'll, I'll explain the thing so yeah. so Destiny Two has obviously one of the things that's been factored in because every element it's one thing that impresses me about it is I, I don't want to spoil things for people because I want people to be able to go in and kind of experience things in the right order including you Pip because mm. you've obviously been aware as it's come out um, 
I, I'm very impressed by how much of, of Destiny 1 is in Destiny 2. Not in terms of locations and things, because it's new places and new missions and, and new characters and things, but in terms of loads of the features and stuff that were sort of added to that game over time, given that this is a reset in some ways, make the way back in. Mm. So it feels like they took Destiny 1 as it was when it died or when it ended and, um, have rebuilt everything and rebuilt it in a more modern way. And that's the story of the game. But that includes, um, including hooks for, cosmetic stuff much so what i would say is rather than it being redesigned for microtransactions they've made cosmetic customization a lot more granular which i think is good generally but it does of is a decision that's obviously been made to um provide the game with more space for Mm. microtransactions so what that means is in destiny one uh you you obviously equip different gear and that changes the way you look but you also equip a shader Mm. Um, which was a essentially like a color palette that was a single occupied a single equipment slot in your in your pirate character sheet and it would um interact with different gear in different ways but it would primarily be like a set of three colors maybe a texture or or an effect or something and uh you found these through kind of normal play and once you had a shader that was it, it was in your collection mm. and in, initially when the game came out there was a huge problem with you not really able to carry enough of them so you'd have to start binning them and later they added the system where you could always draw them out out of a, coll- mm. a sort of a a, a a persistent collection um shaders have completely changed so oh but i like what they've done I think you're probably going to like the thing that I will not like. Okay, well, I'll, yeah. I'll explain what they've done. So, yeah. so now, um, shaders, rather than being one equipment slot that you apply and that affect everything you're currently wearing, every item, including now guns, which couldn't previously be affected by them and ships and bikes and all, all everything has a, sl- a shader slot as part of its sort of little upgrade pattern mm. thing. So when you investigate, when you look, for the gun details it'll you see the shader option as well um and shaders themselves are now consumables uh that you get in stacks of three to five so you you get a particular shader and you get five of them and that gives you five uses um to die to to use the shader up to five times uh you um towards the kind of uh like when you're at basically getting to level cap in destiny is like the start of the game and it is in this as it was in destiny one when you get to that point you get shaders all of the time you're constantly getting far more often than destiny one where you know you got one because then you got one you had it forever now you just get like these stacks of them and there's a new section in your inventory so they don't take up any space anywhere else which sort of just fills up with them um and but you can also get them through the sort of the loot boxes basically the microtransaction stuff um, but the, the kind of Ferrari around the game now is, is about shaders having become consumables, having been sort of these static things. For me, I can see, I, I can see both sides on it. Um, however, I think, uh, and there's some, the, the, there's some other changes to do with mods, um, weapon mods and things that come and also come through, um, loot boxes. Um, for me, I kind of get people being frustrated by the idea that they're not going to be able to change everything whenever they want i can i do get that i don't think i think in practice it hasn't felt like a problem yet at all really um because like i say you seem to get them all the time and i've not ever been in a situation where i've sort of 
felt like I have to go anywhere near the store, basically. Also, as you level up, they give you shit loads of stuff from the cosmetic store. Obviously, as a kind of first one's free kind of thing. But I found myself now in a position where I don't think I'll ever touch the microtransactions and I don't really feel the pressure to. Let's let's revisit that on like Halloween. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You like the thing that I don't. Mm. Sure. Okay. I something that I really loved in a weird wonky way is how in the first game you would equip a shader and it would just apply particular colors from that palette to bits of armor and whatever. I absolutely loved the capacity of that to look awful. Mm. Like, there was something really endearing to me about the fact that some classes just couldn't use particular shaders without looking ridiculous. Yeah. That was actually just quite funny and so quite that sweet. That is definitely still in the game. Oh, really? That, like, okay. some of them look fucking bananas. And I think, so one thing I would say is, the flip so yeah because i mean we'll always have the banana warlock oh, yeah. because you had a you had like a kind of what was supposed to be kind of like undead space leather trench coat but if you applied a particular shade to it it basically just looked like a banana skin it looked like yeah. a big banana onesie that you were wearing so um obviously things are applied item by item now so you're not getting your entire outfit at once although that's mm -hmm. why i think they drop in stacks so you get like you know you can apply to your entire outfit if you wish um but the as well as um the shaders as well as having colors now they now also have materials far more strongly than they did before mm. so like i have one which is like kind of makes everything look like glossy uh pink baby blue and like pale yellow mm. kind of shiny velvet um uh, which just it looks bizarre but that's you know I think definitely in the game obviously i want to try it out before i start saying whether it's a good thing mm. or a bad thing in my opinion um i will say that i have reservations about the consumable side of that stuff because i am far more prone to wanting to switch things up or yeah. to try things out or to you know i i used to have my you know my, my looting outfit or my you mm. know that kind of stuff and or you know an outfit that i would rock up in pvp with that looked absolutely stupid but I would then want to switch it out for when I was doing my formal business. Yeah. And I, and being able to just switch in a thing was really lovely for that because it was part of my way of playing. Whereas if it's a case of, well, you now have to think strategically or budget for these things and mm. these uses that does automatically restrict one of the ways that I genuinely enjoyed playing that game yeah that i totally character. do understand that i think it feels like so i i also understand why when something like this comes out it really doesn't matter you know microtransaction centric issues are just a red flag to a ball when it comes to internet reactions to things so it's become the discussion about the game because it always does mm. and but it's not necessarily unwarranted i think i think but i do think these issues have a warping effect on people's feelings um and that's a true thing uh it doesn't matter whether it's warranted or not however um it feels like the changes to destiny are kind of uh, it feels like a very similar game but the, the changes are so deep mm. in some ways that i'll be interested to see when you've had a chance to sink some time into it 
how it all clicks together. Because I think, for example, this is going to come hand in hand with changes to how equipment works. I think you're going to really like because it's far less, far less pedantic about okay. gear. Like you don't level up gear anymore at all. I saw that. I saw, well, I saw um, the really interesting blog post just before the game came out about things like it works out your highest potential light level before it decrypts things without you having to sit there faffing and yeah. putting on your best hat. They've, you know? they've defaffed it. They've made it so that all the apps people were using to make mm. stuff manageable aren't necessary anymore because everything's in the game yeah uh, but also things like you know you might say you get uh, a gun you really love but it's not quite the right damage type you know you want a solar gun but you've got an arc gun but you really love it um those damage type things are now detachable mods that you can huh. swap so if you love the gun but it's not the right damage type you can just swap that kind of like how dota divorced the you know the the chroma yeah the gems and things yeah, yeah. That kind of socket um, thing and so that stuff is really nice i think and it becomes a lot better like so even though the shaders i think will slow you down there's a sense that you could have you could build your leveling gear and your pvp gear and then dress them up and put them make them the colors you like but you have a little but you, you you're not going to be it's less it's far less um grindy in some ways and okay. far less and far less statsy and uh, far less and the where it has a lot of the kind of um impenetrable rng item stuff that destiny one players got obsessed with has been made a lot more visible so i do think there's a lot like there's a giveth and a taketh away in, in some way it's, and it's obviously a taketh a, take a a thinking take, away. A take a <laughs> um i said i wasn't gonna wine kind of about destiny but oh boy get used <laughs> to this so you also mentioned absolver what's going on there yes i wanted to talk about absolver because absolver is great and has also crept into my kind of game of the year list, I think. Mm. Um, and because I, I think I will probably find myself talking about it. it's going to be a month of games beginning with D for me because Destiny is dishonored. Um, so time to give Absolver its go because it came out a couple of weeks ago now. Um, it was what I was playing last week, uh, when I, I skipped the pod. <laughs> um, and. I really, really like it a lot. Um, so Absolver is a third person martial arts game. Um, it's in the same, it's combat system is like a little bit Dark Soulsy, a little bit for honor y, um, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a indie game by about a six person team, I think, which is very impressive. Um, there's a things that stand out about it to me. Well, so fundamentally, I think it's the best third person combat system I've ever played. And I include in that Jedi Knight, um, For Honor, Dark Souls, and so on. And one of, the, you know, and, and, and to be honest, one of uh, the best, if not the best, um, martial arts games I've ever played because it feels like, um, for a bunch of reasons, which I get into, it feels like quote unquote real fighting. I mean, real fighting within sort of strictly kind of cinematic video gamey bounds. Mm. It's not like trying to, smack someone outside a pub you know um although there is a drunken brawler style um at its best it's very good at evoking like re the like really well choreographed martial arts fight scenes that kind of thing um and it's also kind of an interesting interesting structure so it's um it's not an especially long game if you just think of it as a sort of point-to-point -point race um you know through the, the bosses and the single player its structure is somewhere between Dark Souls and Journey, I'd say. Um, specifically Journey from the kind of art style, which is, is this dusty kind of desert ruin. Um, after a sort of little tutorial area, you're kind of let into this 
a sort of branching open world like multiple hubs it is small by those standards like dark souls it's one sort of interconnected space um and you can do the nice thing of standing in one place and looking at somewhere else and realizing that you're going to go there that's it's one of them games um but it doesn't uh, it's not it's not a it's not big by those standards um and you are a sort of martial arts initiate wearing a mask and there are you need to take down a couple of bosses and a certain number of like marked people in the wilderness. Otherwise it's just, you know, um, a place that is populated by punch men and you have to punch them back to death. And that is basically what it is. It's just beautiful environments and fights. Who's absolving? Uh, absolvers are, it's the rank you're trying to achieve. When you beat the final boss, you become an absolver, which is like the, the the best martial arts people you get a cool cape but absolving has a very specific meaning yeah there's 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 a lot of law okay i didn't really follow it (laughs) it tries to do its storytelling it does well it does storytelling through item descriptions like dark souls it's very like dark souls in that sense um and so there is clearly a backstory um but i didn't pick up on it it was the kind of thing i walked away and went this someone else will explain this i will read the wiki yeah um but the but you know it all comes down to like and and that's a journey from starting to beating the final boss took me about eight hours so obviously compared to a dark souls game that's not not Mm. a lot what comes after that is basically pvp getting better at the game and because it's a mechanically very deep game just playing it like a a fight it's almost worth thinking of the single player as a bit like arcade mode in a fighting game once you've beaten it you haven't finished street fighter you've just you know done your first lap Yeah. yeah um but what's um I'm trying to figure out the best angle to unpick its fighting system so uh, if it helps the thing that i sound uh, the the sound of that was most interesting to me was the idea of learning by having by dealing with someone who already has the move yeah and so perhaps potentially pairing up with a friend or like finding someone online to fight who can use the move on you and then you block it and learn it you know it's yeah it that felt like a really interesting and cool neat way of teaching that doesn't take you out of the fiction or the the yeah it encourages that as well because high level players can set up fighting schools and and actually train Mm. other players so basically yeah so to dial it back a bit because you have to explain the fundamental system that pin underpins that Mm. is um when you start, you have access to a certain number of unarmed combat moves, and there are also combat moves for swords. Um, although those are almost like um, like weapons you unlock at a certain point in a fight that you don't you can't just be a swordsman all the time. And you have access to a certain set of moves, and you learn, and then you add new moves to your collection by uh, blocking them successfully in a fight. However, when you do pull off one of those box and they're also like more like finesse based things like parries where you get more so if you successfully parry the move then you get more xp for it than you would if you just absorbed it um however you lose all of that progress if you then don't win the fight that Mm. that happens in so you have to actually defeat your opponent for it to count so you know there is leveling up and there is stats there is you know getting xp but a lot of the training, and this is, feels very martial arts movie montage just means wandering off and maybe trying to find specific NPC spawns that do the move you want to learn and then parrying it, but also winning the fight. And if you die, it's very soft 
it's not like you lose XP and like in Dark Souls, but you know, getting a couple of good parries off on a move you don't see very often, and knowing this is the fight where you potentially learn it, and then losing the fight really sucks because you you you, you want to win. And so that, and that's a really nice system for mitigating the potential that people would cheese that stuff. Cause it's not, you can't just run into someone who's going to hit you with a powerful move over and over again. You have to be able to beat them to learn it, which I think is a really elegant way of doing it. And that is a completely universal system. So that doesn't matter if you're fighting something, because you do see other players as you're walking around, like in Dark Souls, they run in and out of your world all the time. Actually, no, not like Dark Souls, like an MMO, like they're just there. Mm. So you can fight other players all the time uh, or co-op with them all the time. And, um, all of that stuff is, and all of those learning systems are, are applied completely universally. So if you go and queue for a 1v1 match, which is more like a traditional best of three thing or first three kills, um, you can learn moves there as well. So, and that has a natural effect of mitigating some of the grinding you feel it might need to do. If you get beaten by a move, you, if you struggle against a move, then not only will you eventually learn it if you manage to beat it, and then have it for yourself but also in learning to to beat it you're kind of it becomes less scary so it feels very balanced and what you do with these collection of moves which is also essential to where the game feels is while there are sort of classes and there are which have more to do with your defensive abilities and there are sort of stats that kind of influence how you might construct your move set you fundamentally build your fighting style yourself and it's important not to underestimate how big a deal that is. Because, for example, for Honor, for comparison, um, everyone understands that each of those classes has a designed by a game designer move set. So this move changed into that move, changed into this move. And that's, that's how that works. Um, in Absolver, you completely design that yourself. And it's pretty deep. So you have, um, four directions on the st- four directional stances and regarding depending on what stance you're in when you've unlocked all your slots you will have up to three moves in each um slot so if i'm in my forward position every time i press the x button i do the next move in that slot um and then on each each one you also have you can also slot in an additional like optional move which is on y so at any point you can go to the optional move rather than the next one in the chain that's point one in 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 why it's deep the other thing is that every move so the different moves you unlock obviously can only be triggered from certain stances but they also have an exit position that is can be a different stance so um and that is sort of triggered off the last one in the chain that you do sorry if this sounds a bit dry but it's really important for how the game fits together so what that means is while you can manually change your stance you can also build runs of so like i've built mine so that it doesn't necessarily happen in a, in in a top to bottom order but if i just keep pressing x i will cycle through every different stance and in a particular order even if i don't necessarily um change it manually myself but my moves on Y, my optional moves, as well as having different kinds of utility, also change the, the stance sequence. And so I've built this fighting style for myself, which is kind of like kind of rapid kickboxing kind of thing, where I understand what my options are at any given point. And sometimes you might want to you know, retreat from a fight and reset your stance to begin the sequence in a different order. But it means that every single person you fight, even though there are archetypes, like Drunken Brawler is very, pos- very popular, um, even though there are archetypes, you genuinely have to feel out your opponent 
and not just how they use a prescribed moveset, but what kind of moveset they've built for themselves and what kind of like surprising, um, uh, surprising switch ups they can do. Um, because you don't, you, there is no way you could know going in unless you fought them a bunch of times. Mm. And that is such a cool feeling because fighting games often become about, oh, it's this character. So it'll be this, this, and this. It feels like it's given you a, um, it's given you a bunch of syllables and then you can use them to construct your own vocabulary, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, so has your opponent and then it's about trying to like use your language more flexibly than they can, right? Yeah, or like train them into expecting a particular pattern and show them something else. So like, and the, the, the other great thing about it is um, it's not like it's not like gang beasts like a proper physics based you know fully physics based game um but it is um quite it, it's so what i guess the way i put it is its hitboxes are very specific it's not like everyone is a cube and this this particular attack hits always hits this part of the cube the position of your limb in space is kind of a real thing um and to the extent that even in the open world when you're in co-op friendly fire is is always on or friendly kicks are always on which means that if your fighting style has been is built around jumping roundhouse kicks you're going to have no friends at all ever or you need to like fight opponents in a sort of you know tag in tag out way because you can't avoid kicking your friends in the head all the time so like i've got a few moves built into my deck which are designed for that situation so i know how to just do a few kind of like jabs or something that get some damage in without interrupting Mm. um with or without risking hitting allies that kind of thing it just it's a hard thing to express i actually thought about doing a a video um for the channel i might still do i don't think it would support a kind of cnc plays but absolved in the same sense as bloodborne because it's not that long but there's a real sense of um like sort of both cinematic and systemic kind of excitement how those fights feel like when you fight a tough group of npcs with even if it's just a stranger you've met walking around if you're both playing at a certain level, it really does feel like, like, you know, early season Daredevil when the fight scenes are really, really good, like, and you're properly countering things and like, but also backing off. You're not just spamming moves. You are kind of planning your approach, backing off, resetting, doing it again. It really is fucking great. And the boss battles are amazing as well because they're not gimmicky. They're just fights against tough, really tough combatants. Uh, the way I would describe it to someone who'd played a lot of Dark Souls or Bloodborne, is it feels like one of those games if all of the fights were the kind of like invasions or the hunter fights like every fight is like pvp and the ai is pretty good so even fighting goons in the wilderness can feel like a pvp battle Mm. um it does have it can be obviously it can be it can be supremely frustrating one of the things i love about these games is you get the personality of the person you're fighting um quite a lot of the time when you are behind or someone is you know wailing on you with fast attacks or they have the tenacity not to bow at the start of a duel then sometimes the personality trait that is expressed through this deep fighting system is being a twat Mm. or that's the way it can feel and you can get all of that saltiness and that can really come through um like any fighting game but uh it's totally worth it like um it definitely runs out of you know i think if you're not going to invest massively in its um in getting good at it then after that first campaign run probably diminishing returns to some extent um but it's not a tremendously expensive game i think it's 25 pounds which i got certainly got my 
mileage out of. So something as somebody who is not good at those games and doesn't get what you get out of them, mm. like something I would be just interested to hear as a as a as an outsider is you got super into um is it Jedi Knight? Yeah, Jedi Knight. And For Honor and Blade Symphony and this and i'm interested in the different flavors there like are there is it more that they are just each one was better than the thing before or what you know like what what's the distinction <laughs> so um dead and night sort of feels like an exception in some ways because in terms of like the pc doesn't really have homegrown fighting games like fighting games are traditionally an arcade and then console thing not say they don't come out on pc but you know fighting games that take advantage of mouse precision things like that dead and Knight felt a bit like that although it was really it's the the depth of its multiplayer lightsaber fighting mechanics felt a little bit accidental in some ways well not accidental they were designed but the level to which people took them um was to some extent community driven also that game had a huge role-playing side to it um it was sort of taken as a bit of a star wars sandbox for role-playing including duels but for other things as well. So it's sort of a special case. Blade Symphony was specifically a team of people making a competitive game around Jedi Knight's most competitive elements. They are very, very similar games. Um, Blade Symphony is a lot broader and deeper, but that's because it was, you know, it was like, we're going to take this element of it and we're going to make this. Mm. Um, Blade Symphony, and, and that means that a lot of Blade Symphony's ideas are quite opaque in terms of how things connect. Like I really love Blade Symphony, but it's not fully a simulation. It's it's not um it's not trying to be grounded. It's not trying to look like a real martial arts movie or a real sword movie sword fight. Because it's about an interesting interaction between mechanics. It's quite gamey. Mm. Um For Honor uh which I really like, although I have even I have to admit that I think that game is in trouble. Um now basically like it's it's getting support and things but uh they just had their first like esportsy mini esports kind of invitational tournament thing by all accounts it was a complete disaster because the person who won it used something that the developers hadn't banned but everyone knows is an exploit um to completely win and had only been playing the game for a couple of months and on stage when receiving his trophy the developer said don't expect to be able to keep doing that and for very much longer which is a very negative kind of thing to express and it feels like there's loads there's lo I, I loved front of the weeks that i played it but um it just it needs a balance pass i think or it needs a, a bit of a, a think about how it as experience but at its best Verona did have a kind of big cinematic weighty sword fight thing the reason i like observer so much and the reason i think it's the best of them is it has its 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 you know its gaminess which is also can be depth can be like having some real kind of taking advantage of this mediumness to it um but it also manages to uh make it look and sound and feel like a real combat and the very specific collision is a big part of that. Like when a kick connects, it really looks like it connects, even though it's going to be mitigated by stamina bars and other kind of gamey things happening behind the scenes. It's not like a glowing particle effect hits a man and he takes 80 hit points worth of damage. It really looks like he just kicked someone in the head and like the physics will fall over is, is one of those sort of like, it has that kind of impact that really sells it. And that's a big thing. But fundamentally the fact that it's not, 
you know, you watch someone fight for a little bit, you see what they're wearing and what that communicates about how encumbered they want to be, which has a bearing on their fighting style. As soon as you load into a fight, you get a sense of how someone fights, but you don't, it's not like it pops up and it's like, this is, you know, Ryu from Street Fighter. He's going to fight like this. It's a, you know, it's an enigma. It's a mystery. So every game has that kind of feeling out what someone's deck has, is, is capable of. And that's, um, just super exciting. Uh, predominantly is a feel thing. I think, um, you know, it's one of those multiplayer games I like where, like, I don't, I don't know how much fun it is if you're not specifically into this thing that I really do enjoy, but it does, um, I think the fact that it has this sort of open world free roaming PVE co-op side to it helps a great deal as well. It's not like if you play, you know, something like Blade Symphony is explicitly a competitive experience and you kind of have to want to be taken to school. Like, obviously, you were saying earlier that the appeal of Absolver is that someone can act as your teacher and teach you moves and teach you to play the game. And that's a really nice system. You know, Blade Symphony's community is built around that, basically. It's built around, like, everyone is terrible until they're not. So, and it's not going to, you're not going to have an outlet. You're not going to have an easy mode. You just have to get your ass kicked until you stop getting your ass kicked. Absolver does give you the opportunity to just go wander around a pretty place and beat people up and learn but i still think it has the same thing as like you have to want to learn it's not like you blast through at your own level well, you, you could do that but mm. then you're going to run out of steam with it i think you have to kind of be you have to kind of be excited about the idea that you you are in one of those you know kung fu training montages where someone's dancing around on top of some pillars and fighting people and learning to pick themselves back up and you know that very specific martial arts fantasy i think that's why i really like the or, or it's a big part of why the way that um that teaching learning moves mm. um set up really appeals because in in a lot of games like fighting games or you know just video games in general you often encounter the the very very basic form of here is the move in the here are the buttons you need perform it for me three times and then we'll move on assuming that you know that move now whereas this feels a lot more like it tells you what you need to know about the type of game that it is in that it's a case of you need to know a lot more than just the buttons to press. It's mm. a case of you need to know timings. You need to know how to be on the receiving end of it to understand how it works in that you're now understanding how yeah. to block it and parry it and deal with it. And so that's a really interesting, it's, it's essentially a, 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 um, not a microcosm, but it's very much a statement about the game and what you can expect from it because it's like, Knowing the buttons is not knowing the move, mate. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> step on in to my office. I'm a big fan of, um, the notion that really good game design takes you away from input and into what's happening to your character on the screen. Like, mm. and actually, this is a very successful, um, example of that. So there's no, um, in, in real terms, there is no input challenge. Um, you know, you program the moves and they're always going to be either a single button press of X or a single button press of Y. Um, the skill comes from lots of different things, but it comes partly from knowing, knowing what the next move in the chain is, remembering your own deck, right? If you get, if you, you know, I know how to chain a sweep into a quick punch and into then a sideways kind of a sideways kick that does quite a lot of damage. And I know how to change out of that into another thing. That's just my deck and that's me remembering it and I can screw it up sometimes. 
but you know i don't it's all i'm ever doing is pressing x or y it's just knowing that memory thing which is a very different skill it's not how to pull off a particular move in street fighter and what kind of quarter circle you need to do on the stick it's you know a button press mm-hmm. and then on top of that you can cancel backswing i love canceling backswing i like games where you can cancel backswing pip <laughs> um you can cancel backswing if you activate your next move at like this golden window and every mm. single move in the game has its own golden window which is presented to you with um like a kind of a bar on your stamina bar um which works quite a lot like the active reload system from gears of war which is one of my favorite reload systems <laughs> um which means if you press the button at the right time in the move you do your next move immediately without having to wait for the animation to reset and that is different for every move and initially, you can follow the bar on the screen, try and press the button at the right time. But that means you're not looking at something else, probably your opponent. So eventually, you just internalize it for your own build. You understand the timings and how the timings change as you shift yourself around your own planned deck of moves. Um, and then you have like the blocking system. So you can blocking is by itself not hard. You hold left trigger. Definitely recommend playing it with a pad. You hold left trigger and you block everything. Um, what that basically means is that the attacks as they come in drain your stamina rather than your health. And if you run out of stamina, you uh, um, you start taking damage and if you're holding the button your stamina doesn't regenerate so you have to back off and stop blocking in order to recharge also limits your ability to fight back however each of the three kind of four ultimately fighting styles has a different way of kind of actively dealing with incoming damage so mine can parry which means that I've got to move the right stick either left or right into the into the move that's coming in as it comes in, which is actually pretty easy. Like just in terms of physical movement, it's right or left. It's dead easy. It's rhythm action kind of thing. The skill comes from knowing the moves well enough that I know what my opponent is about to do so I can parry it. Because you have to be pretty quick sometimes. And if you, you know, if something's like a spinning kick where someone jumps around a couple of times before they do it, you might not know exactly what direction it's going to come from in the end. And that learning that is um is super satisfying, but also pretty reliable compared to something like the guard break mechanic in for Honor, which i've always found f- weird in how it communicates its timing which is my excuse for being bad at it um <laughs> but the um but yeah so there's there's loads of depth but none of it requires you to memorize button inputs beyond the ones you build for yourself hmm. and that means that your eye is always in the game and i think that helps again with that sense that you're in a real fight because you are when it all becomes muscle memory it you're in you are that that character having that fight you're not you're not operating them from outside as can sometimes feel with another fighting game you are you are that that's you and that's a really nice sense of embodiment i should disclaim this by saying that the game does have technical problems it does crash um it's unreal engine but it's not stable um not not relative to other in real engine. not like loads and loads and loads but enough to notice mm-hmm. um there can be connection issues and lag which can be can be deadly that i think it's been pretty popular and i think it's been popular in excess of what its six indie developers can have can handle it's it's been published to a devolver so it's not mm. you know 100 percent that's a pain isn't it devolver's absolver Devo- absolver from devolver yeah <laughs> um but yeah so it's it's sort of stability and technical issues are definitely something that people should be aware of mm. but um i'm dead impressed by it like it's it's such a great little bit of design and just top kicking people in the head it's lovely nice it's lovely i like Aww. it very much i'm glad you've had a lovely time yeah this is a big month for games generally mm. what are you looking forward to pip we wrap up i'm kind of interested to know I hadn't 
I actually hadn't, um, because it's been such a big month, I hadn't sat and taken stock, uh, if you see what I mean. I have uh, access to Sunless Skies um, in its super early access, like very bare bones form. Um, So that's a thing that is waiting for me to poke at on you know, when I, when I've got a bit more time to actually sit. Um, so I am interested to see that. And relatedly, I really enjoyed when I finally played the prototype for the game that Alexis Kennedy, formerly of Fail Better Games, Mm. is, uh, or is or was, I'm not sure, uh, crowdfunding. Um, Cultist Simulator. Yeah, Cultist Simulator. Because it's, I really love, the so i know that a bunch of people that i know weren't keen on the interface but it does some really interesting things so it's you know it's a kind of it's not cosmic horror it's kind of cosmic what was the thing um it's cosmic something else um but it 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 very much is of a, a a akin with uh fail betters mm, that's a weird fiction as thing. you yeah as you may well expect um but the interface has you um being able to combine different things in your inventory in these little um boxes with slots on the screen and so you know you can combine i don't know um some money with your health i mean some you can put you can put health as a resource into the employment thing. And then that means you're doing some physical labor. Hmm. Um, and that was kind of interesting because it's combining a quantity with a thing. And then the game figures out what that might mean, yeah. or rather it gives you an option for what that might mean in some circumstances. And so at other times you can, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you're interacting with, somebody that you've met so that person becomes a a card that you can put into a slot in a in a human interaction thing Mm. and then you can add other bits i think uh, other cards to sort of change that action up so maybe if you i think there's a thing like where you could maybe have a, a a charm card you know you've got an extra bit of charm for some reason and you know um you that would change the result of that interaction and so there's a it's basically a doodle god-esque um way of combining the things in your inventory to then produce other things and build the story from that which Mm. i thought was really cool and i really like it yeah i kickstarted it actually i'm that excited about it oh did you yeah but yeah and so obviously that's a thing that i think is now I, i think he was hoping to get it out by like halloween this year or something but because of various other projects that he was working on i think it's now an 2018 mm. thing also it's been kick-started up the wazoo oh, so yeah exactly um <laughs> mean a bigger scope mm. but um so that's that's definitely a thing i'm looking forward to but th- the only reason it's on my radar this month is because of the kickstarter and because mm. it meant that i finally got around to to tinkering with the prototype which was cool um yeah there are other things that are probably escaping my mind at the moment subnautica's not actually Destiny that far off <laughs> well yes um although because i didn't pre-order i'm now in that weird position of 
do I wait? <laughs> Sorry, for the benefit of listeners, I just mimed no and then play with me. Yes, that's rather undermined by... <laughs> yeah. Audio format, everybody. I Audio know. format. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I will mm. probably end up playing a lot of Destiny. So, mm-hmm. yes, I mean... Was that where you were going with this? You yes, basically. Just I, I, I mean, it was a rhetorical question. agree to being on your fire team? Yes. Right. Yeah. Sure. I want to do patrols. Okay. I want to do patrols now. Okay. Now. Well, shall we wrap this up? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter pod than usual um, this week, partly because there's only the two of us, but also just for various time reasons. And I think because it's... A dim- also, Chris has been away from Destiny for, what, an hour and a half and thus starting to twitch, starting to sweat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely 100% it. Um, but yes, because because we have a, a diminished cast this week, we thought we would sort of store up your questions for next week when we have more more of us to give hotter takes mm. on the, the issues of what will by that point be two weeks ago. Well, once I've consumed them, you'd think I'd be able to answer questions in their exact Oh, yes. Voice. Sorry, I've, I've ruined that bit. Um, no, no. So I mean, maybe... Once Tom and Tom respawn... Mm. Um, then yes, they've they'll... got their own voices back. Mm, they can All rejoin us to help us answer questions, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't send us some questions mm. for next week if you choose to do so. Uh, if you already sent us a question, then you know apologies that we're we're skipping that section this week. We will get back to it next week. And if you would like to, uh, to you know, to slide in there, then you can. Uh, I, I don't know why I said that. Then no, you can email. Especially it. when the there wasn't clear. It's into our inbox, right? Like one might slide into DMs. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. It's weird, but sliding on in there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If if you'd like to slide into the Print Crowbot inbox, you can do so by <laughs> sliding into questions at com. And yes, Pib, you're right to kind of facepalm quite as extravagantly as you just did. I was itching my nose, but sure. Well, well I mean, either way. And also because you'd said sliding, I was thinking about sliders. Like burgers. Like no, burgers. the TV show, but sure. Oh, okay. I was thinking about little burgers. Yeah. I'm a bit hungry. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a little bit of both, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. You can also tweet at us <laughs> on Twitter. Tweet at us. Tweet at us. You can at, at us. message us at on us. Twitter. Do at us on Twitter. At Creighton Crowbar. That's where that is. You can find us on YouTube. On YouTube.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. And our podcast is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers. You find out more about supporting the pod and our spin-off projects at patreon.com forward slash Great and Crowbar. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Pip? Mm. Sorry, yeah. Are you going to answer simply for yourself or for the, the toms you've consumed? Oh, that would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, I am at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-D-A... Hank. <laughs> I, he does it so quickly and I he's, always he's feel like practice. I've learned it off mm. by heart. And yet. But all I've learned really is the cadence of it. Mm. So I'm just sat there like pentadoo-do-do-do-do. Pandadactyl. Yes, exactly. Follow someone. Uh, I mean, you just, to be honest, just search Twitter for Tom Francis. How hard can it be? You'll probably find someone, right? Yeah. You'll find someone to follow. Mm. Anyway, and the other one is um, Tom Senior, who is PCG Ludo. Which, That's right. And he only ever spells the L-U-D-O, presumably because he thinks job done with the Well, the PCG initials. is the spelling of PCG. Well, exactly. But it always <laughs> throws me off because it's like, wait, what? Why mm. are you not? Hmm. 
And I'm Philippa War, which is P H I L I P P A W A R. Yes, it is. Yay! And yes, you are. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and that's, that's it from us. So yeah, apologies for short than normal pod, normal service from you. I'm not sorry, just so you sorry. know. This um, is, we are literally sorry, not sorry. Yep, indeed. <laughs> In any case, thanks, thanks for, for listening, everybody. everybody.